Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. This is the Greg Scheinman Podcast. The Greg Scheinman Podcast. Brought to you by Inns Group Insurance. Inns Group is ensuring success. From the Gal Media Studios, here's Greg Scheinman. All right, welcome to the Greg Scheinman Podcast. I hit record as quickly as possible. I don't always do this when we get off to to a start, but I'm yapping away already with with Brent, and I'm saying, wait, we weren't even recording yet, so let's get right at it. I am here today with Brent Aaronwert of Brothers Produce in Houston. Uh, Brent's title, and we're going to talk about this a bit too, is Chief Innovation Officer and get into exactly what that means in his transition into that role. He has been in the produce industry for 19 years. He is an entrepreneur. He is an obviously innovative thinker. So Brent, thanks for being on the show today. Glad to have you here. No, I'm glad. Thanks a lot for having me out here. I'm looking forward to what all we can chat about. So first first and foremost, what what is Chief Innovation Officer and and how did you get the title? What does it mean for you? What is it after all this time in the industry? How does this happen? So basically, I uh, I thought of this title on my own one day. I guess it was an innovative thought that I had. I um, as Brothers Produce grew over the years, I started thinking that people get too lost in the current. They don't think about the future and that my time wasn't spent well being stuck behind a desk, um, clearing paperwork, doing things that I had other people at the company to do. So therefore, I decided that my focus was going to be on the future of this company and how to change it for, um, for the better. I've watched so many companies that have had good things going, lost focus of the, um, of the future, and died. And I didn't want to be one of those companies. So backtracking just, just a little bit on that, prior to taking on the, the chief innovative officer role, give us a little backstory into Brothers Brothers Produce. Um, we're talking about a produce company, and then we want to talk about how to innovate yeah. <laughs> a, a produce company also. So, so Brothers Produce was created uh, by my father in 1979. Um, we were a Holocaust, uh, second-generation Holocaust surviving family that his father was sent to Houston from Ellis Island when he came here from Poland. The, um, he was sent up and down, May, uh, I'm not sure if you knew, Produce Row used to be Main Street in downtown where Spaghetti Warehouse, mm-hmm. all down there, that was the produce market. Okay. He used to pedal up and down that street holding up bananas. Uh, couldn't speak English. Um, each day they would come and ask him, when you come back tomorrow, can you bring this? Can you bring this? He slowly got into dealing produce. Um, my father grew uh, was working at a grocery store through his teen through his teens. Um, ended up the produce manager took on a, had a produce route. Decided he didn't want that route anymore. And my dad, knowing produce growing up in that family, decided he would take that that route. Basically, became Brothers Produce. The money that my dad used to buy his first van was money when he got hit by a car at seven years old. Wow. So that money, that that investment paid off. Um, two years later, he was at the in Galveston, had not seen his brother in a couple of years, ran into him. His brother had a, had a new family, you know, kids, and he had a van. My dad needed another van. He asked, uh, he asked my uncle at that time if he wanted to go into business with them, and that became brothers. Wow, that's, that's, that's a great story. <laughs> so from two vans to... to, to today, we fast forward to um, today, uh, we have distribution centers, Houston, Austin, Dallas, Crosstock, and Harlingen have over 250 trucks. It's inc- incredible. Did you always know you were going to go into the family business? You know, I always, 
As a kid, I always had this knack for selling things. I mean, I would go buy wax boxes of baseball cards at Sam's and sell packs at school. I would sell various things. I always knew I had a niche for selling. I used to go to work with my dad, and I would try to sell things on the dock. So did I, you know, did I know I wanted to, to go into produce? No. But, yeah, honestly, I wanted to be a sports agent growing up. And I think every kid does. So <laughs> I figured out I needed a law degree. So when I, I, went, I um, went into hotel restaurant management out of, out of high school just so I could learn the other side of the business mm -hmm. to know who I'd be dealing with, the things they would, their challenges that they would have and how I could do better on my side because I pretty much knew out of there that I was going to go to the University of Brothers Produce <laughs> as well. Um, and I, at 21 years old, after being a driver, warehouse, everything, I, I went into sales basically at 20 years old. Um, my father actually pulled me out of college because he saw that I was more valuable full-time at the office than half-time going to school. That's interesting. Really? And uh, I wasn't going to argue with him at that point. <laughs> so, I, so your first job at Brothers was kind of being thrust into, I, into a sales role? No, no. My you I, was was always the, I was in the warehouse pulling orders. Mm -hmm. I pulled orders. I answered phones. I did accounting. I drove a truck. I did everything. And then I got into sales when I was older. Do you have siblings yourself? I have a sister that luckily handles our HR. I don't have to mess with that. <laughs> <laughs> and you, personally, you've, over the years, you kind of rose to the... To the to the level of, of president with the company Correct. before, as you were saying, transitioned into kind of creating yeah. this this opportunity to for yourself, which again fascinates me. The forward thinking or the proactive nature of taking a company and continuing to innovate versus sitting back and maybe it's, getting getting passed over. It's a very so so I did sales for I want to say about seven years, then I transitioned into the to running the buying department and what I learned the buying department was really the best part that I really took a grasp on because if you don't make the right buy you can't sell so when I that really completed the circle for me when I started buying and I ran all the buying and it was after that that I became vice president of the company and then I became president from 2014 till um, October of this past year and that's um, and the forward thinking you just if you just take a look around there's case studies every day of companies that don't think forward I mean we see them I don't want to name a bunch of them here but we all can look around and watch who didn't forward think and how Amazon swallowed people up and mm -hmm. it's Am Amazon, everybody's afraid of Amazon but they're the best example in the world of who to watch and how to do things. Yeah, I really also identified and liked what you said about going to the buy side. You know, without understanding how to buy, you you can't sell. Yeah. And 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 I'm in sales also. Um, and I think one of the reasons that not only do I enjoy sales, but have also been able to to develop a rapport with other entrepreneurs is that I got into sales by having been an entrepreneur, having been on the buy side also, mm -hmm. which is I was a consumer of these products. I was running different businesses. I was making these decisions or, as you said, deciding which decisions I didn't want to make. You mentioned your sister, you know, yeah, running yeah. HR and all that. So when you go over to the sell side, if the buyer identifies with you and you identify with the buyer, it changes the, the dynamic of the sales process very much. Yeah, we... We have 16 salespeople now in Houston, and the sales and the buying teams are always going to clash. And anytime those clashes happen, I always ask the sales team, I want you to come sit in the buying department. I want you to understand logistics and market conditions because we're in a market business. Mm -hmm. Mother Nature doesn't make everything perfect. And I want you to understand what happens to get that product to, to this warehouse for you to sell it. And until they, and then when they really grasp that concept, they really appreciate the job the buyers do and the money the buyers are able to make them to help them do their job. Absolutely. And I really think I should have been a buyer. Before. I mean, I think I was thrown into sales because I always just kind of had that, I guess some people just kind of have it, you know, from 
you can tell when somebody's a, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, you talk about a five-year-old can tell something <laughs> just by the way their attitude is, you know, I've always, I guess, had that niche that I could probably sell ice to an Eskimo, and um, I think that's why I was thrown there first. There was a it, at that time in 2001 or so, we were a $12 million company. You know, today we're about 250 plus. Mm. So there was a need for for sales at that time, and I think I was thrown to where there was a need, not really because that was the best place for me. Tell me a highlight, a sales highlight. You know, is there one particular either either deal or sale or, or meeting even with somebody that you said, okay, that out of every out of all of them, that's that's one that I still still remember. You know, you know I guess I've had so many. It's like I'm not a hunter, but there's still the thrill of the kill. I still love I still love getting out there and selling. And I know that the competition doesn't like me on the street because they know that once I step foot somewhere, they're going to buy from me. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. I'm going to find a way. So I don't know which one's really – I'll have to think about that one and probably get back as we go. But one, one that the ones I really enjoy, I look at every customer as a partner. And I really enjoy watching, we talked about some before we come in here, some of these companies that started similar to how our company did. They got a story. Mm-hmm. They started with a side job that turned into a huge multi-million dollar chain. And I feel like we were a partner that helped that happen. And those are the ones that I look back and it's a rewarding thing to know, you know what, I helped I help that through my buying and my team and my service we help that brand become what it is today. And without us, they wouldn't have been that. Yep. And I think that's what Brothers Produce has been all about, is that our customers are partners. They're not just some number. They're lessons learned. I think any any great salesman or any great scorer, as they say, remember, tends to remember the shots they missed, you know, more than the yeah. ones that they, they even made. Um, what, what have you learned, or, or are there any that stand out in particular from – Maybe some of the missed opportunity sides. Yeah, oh. and sometimes on my misses, um, sometimes I think it's good to miss and somebody loses money because I, I've made another company lose money by missing. It's better to not get the business sometimes. Mm. Yep. <laughs> and uh, so sometimes those are actually good hits that you didn't actually achieve. Right. And, um, yeah, we, but we learn from our misses too. I'm not a very aggressive I've never been an aggressive person to go in and try to sell people because I typically feel like if somebody needs my services or wants what I have to offer, then it's got to be a mutual deal. And if you force somebody's hand or they don't really have an issue, they're going to find some some kind of issue with your services. So um, I always feel like with some of the misses that, um, you know, we always can try to learn how to be better in the things that we take to the table on the next one. And when that person's ready, they'll come back around. I mean, I've seen it happen plenty of times. I think it's patience, you know, yeah. a little bit in patience and, and, and experience. And he's a and little, little swagger and confidence and, you know, and all of it. I, you know, and we try to talk, you know, the guys even around here, some, some younger producers getting out and starting to build their book and everything and about, you know, not selling scared or selling the resources mm-hmm. or, as you said, being... It's okay to be in the in the backup quarterback position sometimes for a while, and 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 sit back and wait, you know, until there's a real opportunity for it to the, be to be a value. They, if somebody said what I've always taught, and I, and I've only run the sales department briefly. I've been fortunate that I've got an unbelievable team around me. That's you know I'm only as good as my offensive line, and I've got an unbelievable team that I've build so I've never really had to run that sales department anymore but what I've always told those salespeople is that if they say just because they say no today doesn't mean they're going to say no tomorrow you know in this business unfortunately produce we got six chances to screw up every week (laughs) you're only as good as your last delivery in this business and what I tell them is you know lettuce is lettuce and this person can't say their lettuce or their tomatoes are better than ours because they're all made by the same so at the end of the day, we're a service company. And if it's something with price, if the service that we offer isn't worth that price difference, then you probably don't have a good enough relationship to get that person to buy anyway. Mm-hmm. And they're going to go somewhere else down the road. So 
ultimately you're just selling the relationship you have with that person and the service that we're going to offer. Because if anything, we've become over the years, we started as a produce company, but we are a service company now, mm -hmm. no matter any way I look at it. I mean, that's why I sell other things that aren't produce now, mm -hmm. is because we are a service company. That's that's all, logistics, all we, transportation, and that's, and that's human resources. And Amazon's that. taught us that. Everybody says, are you afraid of Amazon? Afraid? No, I'm not afraid of Amazon. I watch what they do every day because they're making me a better company every day. Mm -hmm. I've, made, I've changed so many things about the way our company does stuff because of watching Amazon operate, you know, and you know, we go outside of the box, but things, you know, just got to flow through the box and your profits are capped and you take care of the customer, they're going to come back. Mm-hmm. If you, um, You've gotten yourself involved in some pretty different things also. Um, you know, one of them in, in particular, at least, that stands out to me, and maybe we'll talk about it, is, is storage. Now, right? Cold and, storage. And, cold, and cold storage. Yeah, yeah that was, um, so cold storage, yeah, I watch all, um, I always watch the industry, and I feel like that's kind of back to this chief. The innovation deal is a lot of companies, they just don't focus on what's ahead of them in the road. They just focus on the now. And I watch companies trying to sell various non-produce products. And my deal with that is that the next best product comes along, and then you're throwing away that, and inventory is the death of everything. And, you know, we're produce people. But the cold storage deal, and we can look in the personal storage and see how many self-storage things you see on the road everywhere. Mm -hmm. And there's, cold storage-wise, there's just a huge demand for it. Um, I started noticing this about three years ago. Um, the way I personally got into it is HEB just would keep calling me for holding this or this or this. And I started mm -hmm. thinking, well, there might be something to this. So I, w I went out and I, I've got a pretty strong kind of tech background. And I said, well, you know what, let me just go buy Houston cold storage. Because if you go into Google and you put in Houston cold storage, <laughs> yes. that's it. You know, so that's uh, so I went and I did that, and I bought about a hundred other cities too, and I've since sold off about twenty of those domains. You know, that were not. It's funny you chuckle about it. I mean, it seems so obvious, but you know, when I just was look, looking up some information on you and everything else, all I did was I typed in Houston cold storage. You know? one, right? so the guy can't like. I know he's doing cold storage, but he really. Is he Houston cold storage? It seems so obvious. That's my, okay. I always say that's my exit from this produce business is I'm a cold storage empire. Mm -hmm. But what I've learned with cold storage, it's a different customer. So somebody will call me, they've got a shifted load, or they got produce that had some issue somewhere and it needs to be held somewhere until somebody else can get it. Or the, the best card I have in my head is I have an alcohol distribution license. So I can mm. buy, sell, transport alcohol, which that's my next, that's where I'm, that's my next move that everybody can know about. I'm going to go big into the alcohol distribution game mm. because I've got 3,000 customers that I can get alcohol to that just want the ones and twosies. And you have the big alcohol players out there now, but there has to be a bridge to get to them. You know, every Tito's or Carbach, they didn't start directly with the big, distributor they had to have right. a bridge to get mm -hmm. there so i have that niche and you talked earlier about um probably i think even before we started recording this about meeting of minimums and stuff like that too yes. and, and and aggregating you know in the produce side as mm -hmm. it relates to juice and everything similar to what you're talking about right i mean you yeah, can put yeah, a small amount of alcohol on a, on a truck yeah. and get it to somebody who can't meet a minimum correct yeah to get that's on why we route. do so we started so as we started evolving, you know, I had dairy companies asking me for help because their minimums were different. Um, you know, I'll do hummuses, I do oils, cheeses. A lot of these products, some I own, some I don't. And it's the less I own is better because it's just a Dreyas distribution. Right. Which, you know, is easier to determine your P&L. Mm -hmm. But the, on the storage deal, too, um, so we started with about... 10,000 square feet of storage, I'll be close to 80,000 square feet and probably looking for another, I'll be looking for another warehouse. I actually just had an article come out um, a couple days ago about a storage expansion, but I have to do another one here um, pretty soon because I got a customer that's going to need a big freezer. And I, that, I, when I look at the next few years, the storage is going to be our biggest avenue of growth. I, I just... 
but the way this city's growing with there's a big shortage of cold storage with the, mm. we're in a port city and you know you think of all the stuff that comes into this port that has to be held whether it's wine um, produce plastic anything mm -hmm. as long as it confides in our food safety and a lot of companies they don't they're not thinking about that mm -hmm. you know we can because we have 110 trucks here we can take it anywhere we can set up a network to get it places and that's just been a big it's a big thing for us and a lot of companies have called me asking how I got into it um, you know you just had to the cards just laid out right to where I saw the you know, running backs all the hole and I took it <laughs> well you were saying again that you created even this role and this title for yourself because that's where you want to be spending your time yes, yeah. is is thinking ahead and looking for opportunities and and fortunately enough you've got this thriving business now it's running family business that you've spent almost 20 years in that enables you to take a step back and say I could be I need to now be thinking even further ahead this business is doing what it's doing but again if we're not growing and, and we're dying in, in, in a way and if you don't re the earlier you realize that the faster you get yeah. ahead of the the curve before before it's before it's too late in there I, I gotta ask you this too what do you eat Okay, like <laughs> being in the produce yeah. business for as long, like, are you are you vegan? Are you produce heavy? I mean, do it's you even funny. care anymore? You know? It's funny because people ask what I eat, and I always tell them that I take in my fruits and vegetables from Pop Tarts. That's typically my five a day. Yeah. <laughs> I'm probably the most. Uh, I may look fit, but I'm probably the most unhealthy person. On uh, I eat a lot of carbs. I eat um, you know typical day of me. I probably won't eat breakfast. I may hit, I may have lunch, but typically when I get home, you know, it'll be Pop-Tarts or Taco Bell or <laughs> something, something bad. I always tell people I work out in order to eat bad. Um, <laughs> it's like, you know, you work at an ice cream, work at an ice cream store, eventually you probably don't eat the ice cream too much. Mm -hmm. Working around produce all day, I don't eat a lot of produce. <laughs> everybody, but everybody loves produce. I mean, I bring it, bring produce to people all the time. I mean, it's something that it's really a good center topic that people all enjoy. I've met well, you're a good house great. guest, I'm sure. You know, people, oh, you know yeah. you're a good dinner guest. Like, yeah, you come yeah. bearing, I come bearing bring, gifts. Oh, yeah, I can always bring everything. But, no, I don't, um, you know, if I eat produce, I'll eat avocados, potatoes, um, you know, maybe fried asparagus. <laughs> <laughs> Not any steam. Where's but, your favorite place to eat in, in Houston? Yeah, Houston. I probably go to Kenny and Ziggy's more than any. You guys supply yeah, everybody. I go, yeah, Ziggy's the best. Though. Yeah, yeah, Ziggy's great. great. Ziggy's a great friend of mine. Um, you know, I, I go to a lot of places. The problem is I live in Clear Lake, so I, in order to go into Houston, all the good restaurants takes too long now. But typically, well, uh, we go to, we go to Kenny and Ziggy's quite a bit. I tell you, I still love the love that guy. Quick quick story. Fortunately, as as a firm, we're we're fortunate enough to to represent him. Uh, as a New York guy myself, when I first moved to Houston, that was the place that made me feel the closest to home. I didn't have a job you know, at the time. I didn't really know anybody down here, and I'd go into Kenny and Ziggy's, the first location, even back when Kenny was working in the front. Yeah. You know, and I'd go in and sit and I'd eat and then. Then I, I would yap it up with Ziggy, and I got to meet him, and we, he knew all the same delis on Long Island where I grew up, and, and, and he was Great also. Guy. And we, my wife and I, we had our first child, and I got to tell you, Ziggy, I think, was probably one of the first guys over there with platters of stuff. You know, to this day, I just always remember that, how he took care of the, the nurses. I mean, our boys are fine, but they spent a couple of days in that NICU, and he came over, and he fed everybody. And, I mean, what a long way it went. I mean, the guy is a... Incredible. Super, super we guy. Had, I, um, my ten year, at my ten year wedding anniversary, I did a Jewish wedding in his uh, smooth room. Okay. Because <laughs> I never had a, I never really had a big wedding, mm -hmm. so I did a ten year in his actual smooth room, with the hoopah and everything in there. Nice. So, and you have, you have girls. I have two girls, um, eight, and the other one's about to be eleven. So, how's the work life balance for somebody as? motivated and kind of thinking ahead as, as you are with, with there's um yeah what hap what happens is you know as you know i get a lot of epiphanies every day i'm sure we all do you probably do too that you know you'll sit there in bed at night you'll almost tear up thinking you know how fast time time's the one thing you can't slow down and the things that you miss and um 
I've really the past that's three four years. I've really the the problem is when you have the the drive. I guess like I do and I see others do. It's hard to slow down. It's almost a sickness. It's it's you're not doing it for the money. You're doing it just for the to to win to to just do you know to achieve and do things and. You try to balance everything. You have to really sit down and define your lines of what's important in life and where the balance lies. And I, I've really tried to the past couple years. Every other week, I'll go to lunch with my, or every every week, I go to lunch with my kids on Wednesday. I'll cancel every possible meeting. I won't take any meeting on those days. I don't care if it be the biggest customer we have. So I've really just, and and they appreciate that, and they grow to expect it. I think that kind of discipline mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. is also important. That kind of kind of balance, as you mentioned, look, you can't you can't take it with you. You know, it's great to be competitive. No. It's not yeah, you know the the financial gain is one aspect of it, um, but the stuff you can't get back is the time. Yeah, you, know, you, can't, you can never. Yeah, time's the one thing you can't stop. I mean, it's, there's nothing uh, there's nothing you can do to slow it down and. I'll tell you why. Nothing will show you how fast time goes fast more than watching your kids grow up. <laughs> no, no kidding. No kidding. As I've got eleven, uh, an eleven and a fourteen, two boys, yeah. and it's unreal how how fast it actually. I, I know. It actually. The worst thing is where Facebook reminds you of it every day when they show you <laughs> when they show you a picture you posted, you know, five years ago that seems like it was yesterday. No, no doubt. Do you? Uh, you mentioned, I mean, obviously, you clear your calendar for lunches with the girls and things. And do you get away? Do you travel much? Are you able to detach? You know, it's one of the things that I've just started trying to do recently more. The problem is, and my wife always kills me on this, that every vacation we take has to revolve somehow around business. And uh, so what I've tried to do, I, I go to California a lot each year. Um, you know, we'll go to Florida different conventions next week we're actually going to a produce convention in Miami but my my wife will go to that one so it'll just be us but I've really started trying to to do that and you know growing up we only took vacations maybe once a year um yeah that was in the pager days I remember I remember nothing would drive me more crazy than me at Disney World and my dad would have to stop the payphone and uh the damn pager you know, him calling in, checking the office, and me and my sister fighting, you know, at the payphone because we're sitting there 45 <laughs> minutes. And you, you just didn't understand. It, it, I really appreciate that looking back. You know, you see how that vacation how that vacation happened and why. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the arguing that it would cause doing that. And then at least now, you know, I could be on the phone, but at least we're together and moving in a line or something. But so we've really tried to start planning. I've figured out on vacations that instead of talking about them, I've started just booking vacation after vacation, and that way they're committed. <laughs> like Southwest will send some deal where they got some kind of airfare. I'll go put put in three vacations, you know, maybe a month or so apart. Maybe if they're three or four days. It sounds but, like innovation. It sounds like hey, if I don't book, if I don't think ahead, don't, I don't book it out. The whole deal is if you don't. Uh, plus, I'm cheap, so I gotta get a better deal too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but if you don't, um, the problem is I've learned if we keep putting things off till tomorrow, we're not going to do it. And if I don't, you know, when we're talking about these vacations and doing them and trying to get away, if we keep talking about doing it tomorrow, we'll do that next year. It's just more time that, that you know, the mother time is going to get us. So I've tried to just start planning them that way. Like we've already taken a couple this year and um, we've got one in a couple of weeks so and you know trying to just go different places with the kids but they do like the Californians are fun I mean even though it's a work related they love seeing the farms I mean they're educational for them and mm-hmm. they enjoy it what's the biggest risk you've taken you know that you feel like yeah I'm taking a shot at this this is just something I want to do I think when, you know, I think in business, we took a big risk back, um, big risk we took back was in the early 2000s, 
we, we made a change of how the kind of business we were going to go after. Um, we decided that we were just going to go after higher end establishments and not and not really try to battle any of the business that may be here today, gone tomorrow. And that risk rolled the dice and made us the company we are today. Because our, our mindset was is that if we could tackle and, and this was a, you know, it was a big decision of mine that if we could tackle the high end business, everything falls below. And that with service and everything and looking back, I mean that's been the difference in the company that really changed the company of where, where our place was in the marketplace. We were probably about the third biggest company at that time. Mm -hmm. And today we're, you know, probably two, three times biggest food service company and, and packages moved. How do you make decisions? Are you a Impulse. committee guy or are you Impulse. a... <laughs> it's not just do it. And, 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 the, and it's, it's a good and a bad, but my team has learned that I move quick. Because if I think, if I have too much time to think about something, I may second guess it. And I don't make all the right decisions, but the best ones I made have been on the fly. Mm -hmm. gut, in, gut instinct. Yeah, is it? Mm -hmm. that's the, it's got to it's gotta be because you feel that's the right thing to do and you just got to do it. Have you had any of those kind of cultural clashes or internal kind of generational clashes? I mean, again, you're in a, you're in a privately held you know, family, yeah. family business that your dad started with a van, okay, yeah. and, and his brother's other van uh, that, that you rose to, to president. I would imagine along that road as you're, there had to we be said. Yeah. yeah. And what, I, what I've always said, my father created a company and my uncle I've tried to create, turn that into a brand. And along with that brand comes culture. And the culture at our company is different than any of our competitors. It's the first thing that I hear when people come to work for us from other companies is the culture here is just so much different. There's a lot of energy. There's this aggressiveness. People have fun. They say it's like a Silicon Valley atmosphere. And, and I like hearing that. And the the generational change is that, you know, things, it, it almost looks like too much fun, like things aren't getting done, but as long as the numbers, you know, we mm -hmm. see this huge growth curve and the impulse decisions, the, the biggest challenge that, you know, I'll have with my father and such is that I do things really very quick. But that's just, if you look at a lot of successful companies, the ones that succeed and grow the way they do are very fast-moving companies. Yep. And, you know, and I know in respect that we got to where we were by doing things a certain way, but just society and times have changed. What do you look for? You, you talked about viewing your customers as partners, you know, all these relationships as, as partnerships. Uh, what do you look for in your other partners. You know, I look at the nuts and bolts of, of, of business. You know, we're a professional services firm, you know, here. And we look at risk and clients and operations and logistics. And what do you look for in terms of your say, other types of partnerships? Again, you've got a huge vehicle fleet. I mean, you've got you got storage partners, you've got risk partners. What are you looking for in those types of relationships? Like the people that are coming, like, that we use on services? Mm -hmm. I always like to make sure the way that I take care of our customers and I stay ahead of the curve for them and their growth, I like to make sure that the people that we're doing business with, whether it's our trucks, our insurance, our um, warehousing, that they're thinking about our future. That I don't need to go to them and say, why don't I have this insurance? Why, why haven't you started fixing up my building or whatever for my growth? And that, that's, I want to know people are forward thinking on us and they're not taking us for granted and thinking we're going to be stagnant because once we bust it out of a certain size of business, disguised, I mean, we can't stop. You want those guys to have a chief innovation officer of their yeah, own. Everybody needs chief <laughs> I, you know, when I came up with that title, I said, I know I'm going to be the first person in this industry to do this, but I won't be the last. 
and I may have created a whole segment in this industry that, and I, it's crazy because I get a lot of emails now from people like really liking the thing and not think. And yeah, I always say the best companies in the world they don't they don't fail because they did things wrong. They fail because they lacked innovation. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've yep. seen, you know, we saw Best Buy. I mean, Best Buy is a great example of one that was failing and changed and look, saved themselves. No, I look, I was in a. You know, an antiquated business years ago. I had started a, a, a DVD, children's DVD business. You know, I'm mm-hmm. talking about antiqu- and you were talking about an industry that was the hottest thing going for a while. Yeah. They were in the end caps of every one of these stores. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, the, the industry changes. Yeah. Right? Hard, goods, hard goods go away. Streaming becomes a thing. Um, the marketplace changes. Kids should, you watch it. Everything is about you said, innovation and forward, forward thinking. Um, on there, and you talked about baseball cards at the very, very beginning of this. Yeah. You know, we ended up with a relationship at the time with the Topps Baseball Card Company. And you talk about mm-hmm. a business where they have the largest library of, of photos and they have the licenses and everything, but it's a card at this yeah. point. When you look at the companies from that developed around it, Fathead, and everyone had to have the stuff on the walls, you know, and video games and everything else, yeah, and all the places. And I mean, in, we just hear about Kodak recently. I mean, you can look at all of these companies yeah, and examples. Kodak stock surge because of the Bitcoin deal. On that stuff, but it's fascinating to me about diversification and companies thinking ahead. Yeah, but in your situation also with a, you think a traditional kind of business, you know, okay, mm-hmm. about how to think creatively, how to be innovative in there. And I want to ask you also, while we're getting around to this, we started also talking a little bit about juice and some other things and about kind of timely social media, you know, lingans, juicing, eating raw, all of that. I mean, now I probably, maybe 10 juice places and yoga places with juices inside. How has that affected your business or how are you using things like social media, trends in eating, you know, and, and juicing and all that from a business standpoint? Well, so, you know, social media, I've always, um, it's funny, you know, I watch companies outsource their social media and things like that and I personally still handle all of our social media I mean you know it was crazy when I was president of the company I'm still doing our social media I redesigned our I rebranded our logo Um, I make all our shirts I feel um, that portion of a company is so vital and it's it was a generational rift my father and I how important branding is and where the social media now is where the people are I was uh, talking to somebody about you know I've been messing with some politics stuff and people are telling me that social media is not an effective deal to just blast or social media is not a good place to blast political things to try to get people to vote and I said yes it is because that's where the people are you don't go knock on doors anymore robocall Mm. you go to where the people are and that's where the people are and um, what I found out in 2011, I started a company called Produce Universe that was a trading platform where you would post things you had and other companies around the United States may jump on to, mm-hmm. to yeah. buy these. And I sold that company, but I really learned a lot about social media and that experience to where I was able, I mean, I built our website and all that. And I watch companies that they don't know how to do it. Um, and a lot of them, go pay firms to do this and you can overmarket things and ruin them. Mm-hmm. I've seen companies that have overmarketed their trucks to where you don't know if they're a produce company, a meat company. You don't know what they are because they've overmarketed themselves. It's simple as simple sales. I mean Google had the best website in the world and they killed Yahoo because they had the they had a simple website. I do want to ask you about your trucks also. I'm glad I'm glad you just mentioned it because they're they're very identifiable. And I've the, always, new, the new ones, right, with the gray boxes? Yeah, yeah. and I've always looked at, at companies that have branded branded trucks, okay, or, or fleets, and as, and as they grow, and they, okay, somebody decided that we're going to invest a lot of money, okay, into painting, wrapping, branding, and doing all of these, all of these trucks, and we're going to commit to that because now every one of them has to look exactly the same as, as we grow, and I've always wondered that uh, about companies that make that decision and value that 
type of thing versus again some that that don't <laughs> so on our so i took over the trucks after i changed the logo so i've done the last 27 trucks i've done everyone's different i'm making every single truck different because i want people to recognize that logo and not really what's on the truck mm. if i have 100 trucks with the same logo well now they just kind of recognize that fruit that's on that truck so now I have one that's got Brussels sprouts. I've got, I mean, and I got the gray cab. Nobody's got a gray cab. So mm. I, and I already have plans that when another company goes to a gray, because I always know people just trail me. I mean, I, you know, <laughs> it's going to happen. I know that. I watch my LinkedIn. I mean, I, I hear other things. I mean, so I've already got three or four other colors of trucks coming out because I know somebody's going to go to gray because gray looks awesome. <laughs> I mean, I don't, know, I don't know how many of our gray ones you've seen on the road, but... They're incredible. Mm -hmm. um, you can see them come, you know, blind person could see them coming down the road. <laughs> but uh, I really wanted to make them different because, A, makes you look like you got a lot of trucks because people never see this. I mean, we have a lot of trucks, yep. but it makes it look like you got a damn lot of trucks. Whenever you never see the same same truck twice. Sure. Um, and then, so I've really, I kind of started doing that, um, and it, it's going to take me probably four years to do all these trucks i'm on year two now and i can only i do like 15 every six months all of this keeps coming back to the same thing as you say thinking ahead yeah. this is a two-year project this is a four-year project this is a five-year project cold storage is going to be this you know over over this period of time the fleet's going to look like this over that period of time and it, it keeps coming it keeps coming back to that which is you talk about innovation, but at the same time, there's such a discipline and consistency into simply thinking ahead. It, you know, it really, um, I carry around notebooks, you know, whether it's an iPad or hand ones. If I got three years in notes to where, say, I die or something, the company knows what to do. Because I, it's so vital that we stay on this path that I've kind of slowly built. And depending on the kind of team that I can get around me is how fast we can get to that path. You know, it's a long, it's a long way away, but you do mention it. You know, the legacy, you know, again, this is a family, family business. What do you want the legacy to be? What do you want brothers to, to stand for? You know, I just, I want, I want Brothers Produce to be the, the model produce company that every produce company in the world looks at, says that's what I want to be. And um, I get, I get awesome messages every day on LinkedIn or that make me feel really good where somebody sees something our company did or one of my employees or something I created. It, just, it really just reasserts. You know, it's, you go back at the end of the day and you think about the hard day you had or the time away from your kids and then some little comment that somebody in North Dakota sees about your company down here in Houston and, man, that's pretty cool what that company did down there. Or just some random email I got. That's pretty cool what you did in that, during the hurricane or... And that, that's what I want just brothers to be the one that's, you know, that's the milestone. This is who, this is the model company that we try to be. You know, this is the Apple. This is the Amazon. This is the produce company. And if you do what these guys, these guys do and that their team does, you know, you're going to achieve great things. And is there a blueprint for that? I don't, I like to think it's just, the unbelievable people that we have in the team and the way that we've been able to build that team. Um, I don't think anybody builds a team the way that, that um, we do. And um, that's the key. I mean, if you don't have the people, you don't have anything. What's one of the key things in, in team building that's so valuable or so important to you? that you guys do do differently if you if you would share it <laughs> oh, I'll, no, I'll share it i'll share it because nobody ever does it it's the 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 secret that i tell people in hiring and i mean i'll tell i tell this to our other branches hire people when you don't need them because that's when you're going to find the best people you're never going to find the right person when you go out and look for a cfo or a ceo or a salesperson you're never going to find them you're going to overpay for somebody that really doesn't fit what you want the best people I find are the ones that fall to me because I'll find them, I'll put them on my bench somewhere I know I know when to go to them 
and then you just build, you know, New England Patriots system. You know, you just built such a strong system that somebody could leave you, but they're not going to be the same superstar in that other system as they are in yours because it's all such a great unity of everybody. And we've, uh, I've been building a team like that for seven, eight years, and just been unbelievable the depth that we have you know, the things that we're able to accomplish. It's organized chaos over there sometimes that we get the thing done. Is it in the way because you are, you said, overstacking, you know, maybe a little bit? Or just, okay, I, I, like, hey, yeah. I'm bringing it in. Like, if you're a great player, if you will, I'm, I'm going to bring you in, period, and we'll figure out a role for you, yeah, which somebody, means maybe we're, we've got some redundancies or we've got some other things. Yeah, we've never laid, like in 2008 when the economy started crashing, we never laid anybody off. We've never, we've never had any job reduction of any, of any sort. We just, we balance out our workload to where nobody's over, nobody's just overworked. And it's just... What does that do for productivity? I mean, a productivity analysis. It, it's it, and now I'm really like boom because we've just been doing a similar a similar thing around here. We've grown from fifty some odd people to 110 people. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're climbing in all these things, and then you look at productivity, which is margin in a way. Yeah. Like how much are you getting out of your people before? In a way, it's too before it's too much. You know, and what are you doing to build your your well, bench and your system? Yeah, well, well, we do a lot of cross-training. That's the biggest thing. So that way, you know, this person's gone, this person can, can fill it in. And, you know, on the productivity side, you know, I've always told people, it's not how many hours in a day somebody's there, it's what they accomplish when they're there. I mean, somebody can work 10 hours and be as effective as somebody working 50. Yeah. Busy and, versus productive. Yeah, yeah. and that's, and, you know, our business is just so... We, we've got a lot of homegrown talent. A lot of the people that are in some of the upper positions, some of them started in the warehouse. Mm-hmm. And it's just growing through the system. So we brought in outsiders and we've promoted with inside. But uh, the whole deal when you overstaff is to make sure that people aren't intimidated by somebody strong coming in there that's going to take their spot. That's always the the fine line that you walk when you overstaff. And the other thing is I try to make sure that people are looking for careers and not jobs because the cost of turnover and training is so high. Outside of your, your own family, who are some of your mentors? Where did all this, where did all this come from? <laughs> you know, the outside, you know, I've learned a lot, you know, obviously from my father, but that'd be the family. I, I follow a lot of stuff that Jeff Bezos does. I mean, just watching some of what he's done at Amazon is is incredible. I mean, the, the Silicon Valley guys or the Steve Jobs, the I like to think that those are the best blueprints for innovation mm-hmm. because all those companies migrated from something. You know, it, at Apple it was you know, Apple had to change twice. You know, they created the first the computer and then had to rebuild themselves with the iPod. Um, Amazon, you know, started with books. You know, and I, I always use that analogy to our salespeople. I, they always say, well, how, are we just becoming a storage company? I mean, what are you doing? You know, are we still going to sell produce? And I say, you know, does Amazon still sell books? And they go, yeah. So we're still going to sell produce. <laughs> but we got to be something else, too, because, you know, when the market share we have, I mean, people always going to be gunning for us. And uh, we have to, you know, you got to stay on your toes. When you're at the top, sometimes it gets lonely. You got, so you got to keep, you got to keep the drive going, and um, so I think the Silicon Valley people are really, you know, Mark Cuban's a great guy to, to follow on the way he does things, um, but the Silicon Valley people are the best innovators of all. Anything that you do, some stuff like this, whether it's an interview or talking about anything you always wanted to be asked and you wonder why nobody ever asks you, <laughs> you know? I don't know. Um, I guess I hadn't done enough interviews to figure out what people are going to ask me. <laughs> well, then I'm happy to get, on, I'm happy to get yeah. on your calendar. You're turning down more of them than you're taking, so I'm glad, so I'm glad, to, <laughs> glad to get on the docket for, for a little while there. Yeah, I don't know what I'll... Uh, 
I guess I'm in such a business where you're, 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 you're dealing with so many demand. You're getting, I'm getting told more stuff, whether it's at work or at home, and not asked. <laughs> you know, if I'm getting asked things, it's like, can you take out the trash? Or can you do this? That's the things I'm asked. <laughs> if you could, though, sit down with, with somebody and, and, turn, and turn it around, who do you want to sit down and talk to? You can get 45 minutes, an hour with somebody, which I'm out there asking for from people all the time, you know, and that's literally what it comes down to for me. Who do I want to spend 45 minutes to an hour with and, and learn as much as I possibly can from? You know, like just to be anybody or people I know? You know, you're Maybe talking both. like anybody in the... You want to go local? You want to go global? Okay, we'll take both. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, um, you know, outside of the, the Silicon Valley people, you know, but... You know, restaurant people, I'll tell you somebody I I think I, that I always pick their brain, but I really sat down with them. Anthony Milton, that was at My Fit Foods. Mm. I mean, it's a great, it's a great story of that story of starting small and boom, becoming big. And the challenges that come with that. Because nobody, nobody really knows, you know, how to ride these dragons on these waves when these companies are going up and, you know, what what comes at you every day, you know, outside of salespeople, you know, in your ear saying the sky's falling. Mm. They don't know how hard it is to maintain the growth of companies and entering into territories you've never entered. Yep. You know, who knew we needed um, a director of HR, or, you know, who, you know, five food safety people. You know, these are questions. You know, there's no manual on this stuff. And when, you know? Yeah, when? when. Okay. That's the thing, when? when? Too early, too late, you know? Too... <laughs> you know, the, you know, Cisco, you know, Cisco kind of, if you look at a company like Cisco, they didn't really have that overnight search. It was just kind of a steady to get to where they are. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, we're going over like 30% growth year after year. I mean, that gets tough to, to ride, you know, to ride that wave and, People I like talk to is, you know, where do you bring in the outsiders? How do you do? It? You know, what do you, what do you do? Yeah, and he's going to do it again right now, right? With with his new yeah. Manly Salon, the tune up, yeah. the tune up deal around town. He's going to do it again. Yeah, yeah, he, he's there. Yeah, he's there again. I mean, he's he, but yeah, and he's been, and I call him on a lot of stuff. I mean, he's he's been a great, great help. Different different business, but it all goes back to that. Um, you know, whether it's school, government, church, uh, business, it's all the same fundamentals of maintaining the growth and growing for the future. Yep. Agree. Agree. Brent, Aaron Ward, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate you being on the show today on the Greg Scheinman podcast. And uh, we'll pick this up for part two, okay? Yeah. Uh, as the innovation road leads us to, to some new places. Thank you very much. forward to it. Thanks for having me. The Greg Scheinman Podcast was presented by Inns Group Insurance. Inns Group is ensuring success. For more information, visit innsgroup.net.